This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 13th of November 2022 at home in Wicklow. And it is an episode about using one's voice to advocate for the greater good. Fundamentally, that's what I'm talking about today. And I focus on a couple of um, very renowned figures from the worlds of music and film and how they've used their respective platforms to to preach a certain belief system, value system, a certain vision of of how they'd like life to be. Uh, or in some cases, how just a very frank look at how life is. So this is partly inspired by the Qatar World Cup and FIFA's attempts to censor footballing teams, nations who are protesting or want to protest about the human rights violations in Qatar. And it's also inspired in part by listening to Bruce Springsteen's Broadway show and the recording of that show from a few years ago, which was essentially a, an extended retrospective monologue um, interspersed with songs from his back catalogue. Um, Bruce Springsteen, if you didn't know, is, uh, is quite a formidable storyteller. Um, and I've always been very attracted to that aspect of his persona and his his, his performances so um, yeah I mean ultimately I'm talking about speaking truth to power and appealing to our, our better angels as as they say so that's what's coming up um, I hope you enjoy it I will see you around the corner cheers Change my mind Leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to the Clear Out. You're very welcome. You're very very well you're <laughs> that's a good start. You're very you're very welcome. You are very welcome to this humble endeavor. Um yes, you are very welcome or very welcome to yet another episode of earnestness <laughs> of earnest yearning um i'm going to write a poem called called ernie burner the earnest yearner and it'll be a little parody of my own leanings and inclinations anyway what we do here and when i say we i'm using the royal we because it's I. But what we do here on the clear out, on the tell, is explore wellness. <laughs> explore the effort to live well. Explore the negotiation of that, the difficulty of that. And it's it's basically a it's a, it's a it's a long running, ongoing conversation reflection, negotiation, striving for understanding. And it is always the best, the best I can do with the information available at the time. And I think that is as much as any of us can do at any time. Now, over time, we may come up with a formula that suits us we may come up with a formula that suits us and we may be able to reduce things to certain touchstones certain principles um, and in my case one of those touchstones is be ever open to change <laughs> because the fixed position I think is unsustainable. The fixed position 
is suggestive of a rigidity of thought which I don't think is conducive to wellness. So if that is in some way evocative of a a Zen middle way, a Zen presence of mind, presence of body, presence of spirit, um, that's, that, that's, a, that's a reasonable projection or a reasonable assumption. I think I'm probably Zen adjacent. <laughs> if uh, if you'll if you'll permit that coinage, um. So yeah. Anyway, that's that's what's going on. And I mean, really, you know, if if you're a new listener, just just go back and uh, listen to episode one where I sort of lay it out. I lay out where this came from, and I lay out how it was an evolution from my blog, which, uh, of the same name, the Clear Out, and the subtitle of that blog was uh, decluttering, clarifying, connecting. So those three words become the sort of unifying principle of what I continue to try to do here on the Clear Out podcast. So there you go. That's um, that's it. Anyway, you, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I won't know until I listen back. Um, but I'm I'm taking a punt on recording in a new space, and that means there may be some uh, there may be some sounds, there may be some environmental sounds in the background because I've got two guinea pigs to the left of me, and they can be quite vocal. Um, now, as it happens, the cats are outside, so. Unless one of them come comes to the door, uh, it'll just be me, you, and the guinea pigs. And also I have the stove lit. Um, yeah, so you, you may or may not hear. No, it's, it's quiet. The stove is quiet. I was going to say you may hear the crackle of the fire. A very evocative sound, in my opinion. Very atmospheric, very ambient. Um... Yeah, I just felt like a change. I just thought, you know what, it's kind of quiet here. And as mentioned in recent episodes, I am tout seul. I am all alone at the moment in hashtag blessed. The women in my life are away in the land down under. So that's another reason why I can presume to do this here now. Uh, I am, just like last week, I've put myself on the clock the, this week has been shaken up a little bit. Um, now, by the time this comes out, that'll be of no relevance to you or me anymore. But I've had to kind of just reschedule things. I normally do this in the middle of the week, but I saw a window and I thought I'll sit down and do this. And it may mean it'll be a somewhat truncated episode. Um, no bad thing, says you. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway. A couple of things on my mind at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I, I think I'm in. I'm sort of in a somber kind of mood. Um, I referred in last week's episode to a couple of family members um, in vulnerable positions, and one of those. And this is my extended family, but part of the the kind of the clan, kin clan. Um, and one of them uh, passed away sadly uh, last week, and yeah, it all that that kind of thing always gives one pause for thought and makes one stop thinking about oneself. Uh, in my case, anyway, um, and sort of extends your heart to the suffering of others and to those close to you who are really. At the you know closest to that grief, um, so yeah, that's sort of there's there's an undercurrent of that maybe informing uh, my thinking at the moment. And I had a visit today with one of the other uh, vulnerable family members, um, and yeah, I mean vulnerable, I suppose, is a bit euphemistic. Uh, this is a family member 
who is negotiating the, the last stages of his life and has been a great figure for me in, in my life and very a very good um, male presence in my life and very caring and thoughtful and guiding and a sort of a, a non-judgmental safe place which I think is is so crucial for uh, for for many of us when we're when we're growing up and young you know adolescents and young adults um so i suppose that's put put me on a certain track um in 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 my thinking and i'm not i'm not really going to speak specifically to that that's um that's maybe another episode if we're if we're talking about uh grief if we're talking about loss bereavement death um losing important people in your life that's not that's not really the focus of this episode but it's a bit of a it's just a bit of a backdrop i suppose um i have other things other things i want to i want to touch on um the what i might start with and i won't spend too long on this and it's just a bit of a, a soapbox moment a bit of a rant the the world cup the fifa world cup the soccer world cup the football world cup is upon us it uh, it kicks off next week and it is being held in qatar and i don't think in my lifetime or as long as i've been aware of the existence of the world cup as long as i've been a football fan as long as i've had people in my life who are passionate football fans i don't think i've ever encountered such such ambivalence such not caring such a lack of interest in the world cup uh and more extreme emotional reactions people are just highly critical of the world cup being given to qatar um whenever it was appointed several years ago um, under the stewardship of the head of FIFA at that time, one Sepp Blatter, who, to my mind, represents everything that is disgusting, despicable, immoral, dishonest and disingenuous about large institutional leadership um, and the sort of the, the cynical cash grab of... Of these, uh, and specifically, you know, you know sporting organisations, um, the sort of committee men, backhander, jobs for the boys mentality, um, and Qatar is really uh, an emblem of of, of sports washing. Um, the idea of a country with a very bad human rights record, a country which has no particular history of uh, a cultural connection to football um, and a country that sees the opportunity of cleansing its image by hosting one of the biggest sporting events in the world. Um, and I suppose the thinking is on, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the thinking is, well, this is a, a way to say, you know, we, we're given a pass. We're given the blessing of FIFA. We're given the blessing of the world football community because they've allowed us to to host this event um, and therefore it bestows upon us a certain credibility and respectability and worthiness um, but I think if you're on the in a different camp you actually care about where the World Cup is held. You care about 
how citizens are treated in that country. You care about the, the values that are upheld in the society uh, of, the, of that country. Um, you care about how workers are treated. You care about how vulnerable citizens are treated. You care about the human rights of all citizens of that country. You care about women's rights. You care about gay rights. Um, and when a country that has a very dubious track record in those areas is given the golden ticket um, to, to, to host the World Cup, there's a conflict. There's a moral conflict. And it certainly seems evident to me, having conversations with my friends um, friends and different family members who are football people and reading various opinion pieces and below the line comments on various articles that for a lot of football fans there's a there's a conflict there's something wrong about the tournament being held in Qatar the tournament being held at this time of year the tournament being held in the middle of the football season um there's no precedent for this in the the hosting of the World Cup, certainly not in modern in the modern era of football, not that I'm aware of anyway. Um, so it's yeah, it's it, it it represents it represents a sort of a an arrogance on FIFA's part. It represents Sepp Blatter's arrogance and his disingenuousness. Um, because it just seems from the outside that all, you know, as much as one of his stated missions was to kind of spread football, grow football, and give opportunities to other places to embrace the world of football, you just think ultimately he was just chasing the money. Um, it's hard not to believe that. Um, and Qatar... It's it's you know it's it's been documented during the build up to the World Cup how poorly, in fact, how appallingly migrant workers have been treated in Qatar. Workers who've come to contribute to that that event economy, um, and the workers working on building stadia, and workers who are plugged into the larger. Uh, growing hospitality market for the the World Cup period, um, and in the football world itself, there's been a lot of comment, a lot of reaction, and a lot of clear messaging from certain footballing nations um, in this area of human rights, workers' rights gay rights, women's rights. Uh, the Australian football team, for example, has been outspoken and delivered a public message from some of the members of the football team. Um, the the Danish football team wanted to get FIFA's blessing to train in a training kit that was advocating human rights for all. Um, and in the last 24 hours, Qatar issued a statement, uh, sent a letter, well, it was a letter, I think, sent out to the various footballing nations, the participants in the World Cup, which basically said, stay out of politics, uh, shut up and play football. Now, I'm obviously paraphrasing massively, but stick to football is the the quote. That's what was grabbed from the letter. And it's, it's an astonishing, astonishing... Uh, position of you know from FIFA from this body it's an astonishing position which is basically saying don't care don't care about where you play don't care about the rights of football fans don't care about who gets to host this huge, huge event watched by gazillions all around the world every four years. Don't care about any of that. Just 
do your job and play football. And there is something so grotesque about that position of FIFA. There's something so ignorant. There's something so insulting to the average or representative, whatever that is, football fan. Because the football fans, we're following this story. We're following this story. We follow the teams. We follow the players from the clubs we support. We follow players from other clubs, other countries. Um, and we care. You know, yeah, of course, primarily <laughs> we're interested in the football. We want to see those players play well. We're interested in the drama that plays out on the football pitch. But many, many fans, it's clear that many fans care about things other than football as well. And they care when footballers take a position and show their uh, their moral, their moral core. And it's not, you know, th- th- that's, not a, that's not a simple aspiration or a simple acknowledgement. It's not saying it should all be conflated, that all footballers should have a strong moral position, that all footballers should have a strong political vision for the world, that all footballers should be socialists or egalitarian advocates. It, it's it's not as it's not that it's not as naive or simplistic as that because it can, again that's not very interesting, but this particular World Cup it's so clear that the footballers themselves are going this isn't cool going to Qatar and being in a country where people's rights have been. Um, compromised taken away from them flouted whatever um footballers care and maybe maybe that's just footballers going this is the right thing to think this is the right thing to say at this time um it doesn't matter like at the end of the day like the the net result is footballers wanting to stand up and take a position and maybe that's a a product um or, you know, product or a consequence of of people being just a little bit more switched on to to social issues. Um, maybe it is as cynical as the suggestion I made a moment ago about you know managing image and being on message. Um, but my sense is that it's real. My sense is that it's coming from. A sincere place and FIFA responding to to the you know responding to the personnel that bring so much money and so many eyeballs and so much status to their sport and the personnel who populate the national teams that compete in the World Cup, that attract this worldwide audience. For FIFA to just say, kind of shut up and do your job, stick to football, you know, that's not for you to think about or talk about. It really tells you everything you need to know about FIFA, that they're they're not interested in anything that gets in the way of the money that they're not looking at footballers as rounded representative people as much as you know multi-millionaire guys in their 20s playing football are representative um but there can be an alliance of thinking between footballers and fans taking aside the gilded lifestyle um because of the 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 proximity of of how fans follow those lives and follow those footballers um and the, the the social media presence of many footballers and where they play out their public lives uh and for me i just feel that that position of fifas is really them sticking their fingers up 
to to all the fans to all the fans as well because it's kind of saying to the fans just ignore this distracting story just come and pay those prices come to qatar pay the prices come to the match keep pouring your hard-earned money into our coffers and don't for a millisecond don't for a millisecond tarnish this this spin this glossy image with your moral concerns you know human rights don't, don't you know with your your social justice warrior nonsense just shut up and enjoy the football don't rock the boat i mean it's it's it's, it's a walt disney level of image control um it's it's a you know it's a walt disney level of don't dare peek behind the curtains um but they're they're so off they're so off they're so not feeling the temperature of of fans who are just more and more jaded and sick of the cynical um mercenary cash grab that so many football organizations executives higher ups uh investors take over owners that you know that, that they represent just let's milk this money cow for all it's worth and the last thing they give a shit about is the fans and most fans are oh i don't know i mean like god who am i to speak for fans i mean i i mean i just know like guys that i've you know people that i know are football fans um they're very rounded uh, complex people <laughs> who aren't just there to enjoy the football that have political viewpoints who care about you know many other things other than kicking that round ball around the pitch for 90 minutes uh even though they can be passionate about that and you know many of us are um so yeah it's um it's weird it's weird to be kind of thinking Ugh, this world cup just feels so tarnished it just feels like a, a horrendous public relations disaster that's about to happen um i'll be really curious to see what kind of viewing figures are are going to you know the, the world cup's going to get i'm really curious to see what kind of protests there'll be i'm curious to see will players risk the censure of fifa by having their own protests and getting booked or fined or whatever uh i'm curious to see what football associations will go do you know what no because this isn't a it's not a football issue it's a human issue and maybe that really is ultimately the point that maybe people are just going you know things are bad enough in the world and if you're going to try and censor us and stop us having a voice and stopping us saying do you know what i think that's wrong um it's you know fifa it shouldn't be a police state but that's the impression you get these suits who are like hey we've got a lot of money to make here and we don't need you whinging in the background and distracting people and making people furrow their brows or raise an eyebrow and go hmm maybe all is not as it seems um anyway it disgusts me it absolutely disgusts me and uh Sepp Blatter is pretty much you know for all the dictators and dodgy populist politicians in the world and mercenary companies Sepp Blatter is is really probably one of the highest people on my uh my hate list I don't really go in for hate that much but um Sepp Blatter my god that man his his venality his criminality his arrogance his contempt for for football fans for just everything that's decent in sport uh never ceases to stop offending me no never ceases yeah <laughs> did a double negative there hold on <laughs> it never ceases to 
offend me. It never stops offending me. That's what I want to say. It never ceases to stop. <laughs> what? Okay. Anyway, um, so kind of indirectly further to that, the idea of calling out bad behavior, the idea of calling out immorality, the idea of standing up and going, this is really a source of despair, a source of concern, a source of a source of rage, of indignation, of of heartbreak, of disgust, um, and wh- what are we willing to do about it? That, that that idea of getting up on your soapbox. Um, I just want to spend the rest of this episode just talking about this idea of the voice, the voice that cares, the voice that speaks truth to power the voice that feels an imperative to to speak to try and be heard to speak to the sense of voicelessness of others i suppose um so fundamentally what I'm talking about here is the idea of a spokesperson. And I'm interested in the artistic voice within that context. And the artistic voice that doesn't just stick to football, so to speak. The artistic voice that doesn't just stick to play the tunes or make a nice story, the artistic voice that feels compelled to think bigger, to think larger, and to express that. And the, the, you know, the artistic voice often channels that into their, their work. Um, but this line of thinking was prompted specifically by my listening to Bruce Springsteen on... Broadway um Bruce Springsteen gosh four years ago five years ago maybe more recently than that um did a a limited run of shows in Broadway where he basically put together a show that was like a, a career retrospective and I think he did it with a very paired back band and he it was a night of storytelling um interspersed with some of his most famous songs and uh, my wife gifted me the uh, the double cd a few years ago when we were still in melbourne and it's um it, it's not something you just casually throw on in the background it's uh, it it demands a sit down and listen um or in many ways, very like a, a podcast, you know, stick it in your ears while you're doing something else. And it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's a really interesting um, recording. And it's, a, you know, it captures Bruce Springsteen at a, a time in his life where there's a, you know, there's a lot of looking back because maybe there's not so much looking forward. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what age Springsteen is now but um, he has to be around 70 doesn't he I'll just I'll just do a (laughs) I'll just do a quick check but the funny thing is that style of Bruce Springsteen delivery and his relationship with um, monologuing for want of of a better word um, that goes back that goes back a long way. Um, yeah, he's 73. There you go. A young man in his prime. Um, he, he has a long history of storytelling in his shows. I remember as a kid, um, my brother, my older brother, he was like when he was a teenager, he, he was up to all kinds of uh, shenanigans 
would be the uh, the, the, the the preferred euphemism here. Shenanigans. A little bit of this and that. Um, Low-level uh, capers on the, uh, the other side of the law, shall we say. Anyway, he, um, he came home one time with a, a bag of CDs. And in that... No, not CDs, what am I talking about? A bag of tapes, a bag of cassettes. And amongst other things in that bag of cassettes, one was the best of hot chocolate. <laughs> and if you believe in miracles, you know, you, you love that. You love that now. Bit of hot chocolate, gorgeous. Um, which I did listen to a bit. But he also had in there a... Was it a double cassette? It may, it may have even been like a, a quadruple cassette of the best of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, which, was that like 1975 to 1981? I, I probably don't have those dates exactly right. But, yeah, it, it, was, you know, it was a, a double or a quadruple, as they said, live album of Bruce and the E Street Band doing their shows. And that was interspersed with the same thing. Um, you know, 40 years earlier, Bruce Springsteen was taking the time to tell stories um, and tell stories of his, you know, from his life, these these personal monologues. Um, and I used to love listening to them. Um, and maybe that was the, I don't know, there, there, there's something kind of actorly about them. Um, and a, you know, a, a good storyteller is, is is a great thing to listen to, just as a bad storyteller is not. <laughs> and you know, Bruce Springsteen, and it's not like I'm a massive Bruce Springsteen fan. I mean, obviously, I know I know some of the you know the the the, the hits and the the more popular songs. I'm not in deep with uh, with the boss. I do remember. Uh, Born in the USA, that album just being massive as a kid and getting played a lot. Um, and then I think was the Tunnel of Love was that the was that the follow up album? Um, and I was kind of mystified by that because there was none of that kind of bombastic, uh, you know, the barrage of bombastic hits. Um, but I think what I did recognize the, about Bruce Springsteen. It was a sort of a a frankness and a, an authenticity about his voice, uh, particularly in his storytelling. Um, he was just a very simple kind of guy from Jersey. Um, and there was a kind of a, a blue-collar realness to his, his stories of personal reflection and, and struggle and, and triumph. And so when I listened to the the, the Broadway recording um, from a couple of years ago, it, I was like, oh, yeah, well, this this chimes. This this chimes with exactly what he was doing, what he's been doing all along. Um, and I was trying to think, you know, of these sort of famous front men in, in bands, like who else, who else steps up, to, you know, in, in that kind of role? Because it, it is a bit soapboxy, and certainly in the Broadway thing, there's there's a real you know political um, thing in there, um, and a an earnestness and a, and a sincerity, um, and a total lack of ambiguity in terms of nailing his colours to the mast, and I. I think I've always sort of responded to that when the message feels like one I like, when it when the message feels like something good, when the message feels like it's about um, egalitarianism, about people just being given enough to get along. Uh, I think that's the way I put it. It's not it's not this grandiose ambition for more it's a it's a it's it's a humble ambition for enough enough to retain one's dignity enough to 
allow allow one's decency be rewarded with the provision of of sufficient um and i feel that's kind of where bruce springsteen was coming from his 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 stories of just normal people um and so he he he, you know he's a great american voice in that regard i think um regardless of the mode of music which sometimes you know in my opinion is a bit over the top or a bit bombastic um a, a bit one note um although my wife said years ago what he's very good at and bear in mind my wife's a musician and songwriter now music therapist you know what she said he's very good at is writing songs to his strengths as a as a singer and performer um and of course he's renowned for his stamina as a performer like his epic shows three hours three and a half hours and even there's something about that that's kind of there's a selflessness Oh, although you might argue it's just this monstrous ego trip. <laughs> I don't think so, though. Um, but in any case, I was thinking, I was kind of thinking about, you know, who else, is, you know, ticks that box. And Bono, of all people, came to mind. Bono of U2. And Bono was someone, when I was a kid, he used to just aggravate the hell out of me. I just, oh, my God, this guy. He's just so self-serious. He's so pompous um and narcissistic <laughs> and over time i've kind of come to appreciate him and kind of go you know what bono was there right from the get-go nailing his colors to the mask to, to, to the mask sorry and unapologetically um outspoken about his beliefs and his his striving to speak for the masses um, which is kind of excruciating in a younger man, I suppose. Um, but you two were always, they, they were kind of always in that camp, you know, and where, you know, it's part of what's amazing and brilliant and fascinating about them and also kind of what's ridiculous about them, I think, uh, at times. And yet it speaks to exactly what I'm talking about. You know, he's not, you know, the, the Bono, was never going to stay in his lane and just write rock songs, pop songs, whatever you want to call them. Um, he had a bigger story to tell and was completely unafraid to do that. And now he's out there, I believe, making... Uh, isn't he going to do a show based on... He, he's written an autobiography. Um, and he... Um, like, there's a guy who can talk. <laughs> so I guess I, I recognise that. Uh, there's a kinship um and and yet i've come to a point of really admiring that outspokenness even though it's kind of it's kind of gauche and it's not it's not cool and it's completely lacking in cynicism you know um and that is something that i do respond to because i think i've i've nailed my own colors to the mast very clearly uh, in different episodes of the podcast and in in the pieces I wrote um, over whatever eight or nine years on the blog, um, that I, I I'm like yeah, say what you think, say what you feel, put it out there, don't be afraid. Um, what like what, what are you risking? Because for me, it's it, it it's a great clarifying, um, it's a great clarifying endeavor to try to articulate yourself. And to articulate your your indignation, to articulate what you care about, to articulate what you believe in, to articulate who you're concerned about, to articulate your anger at those you feel should care more, um, and to try and use your voice to to express something that maybe others can't uh, or lack interest in or haven't thought about or i don't know Uh, and it's (sighs) this isn't proselytizing and you know it's not an attempt to recruit um or form an army of outspoken pains in the arse um but there is something in the mix there which is like 
Jesus, you know, somebody has to speak. Someone has to use their voice. Um, and when it comes in the form of a, of a front man for a band, um, I don't know, that, that can be, that can be, I don't know, is that, is that a hard pill to swallow? Or is that, is that the best place for it? You know, these, these people who have huge followings, huge audiences, have made people fall in love with them through their music, um, and then say, by the way, think about Rwanda. By the way, think about Black Lives. By the way, let's, uh, let's think about our better angels. Let's think about the unifying force of human decency and compassion and empathy and, yeah, righteousness. Um, because cynicism would go, ah, shut up. Cynicism would go, come on now. Come on now, just let the machine roll. Let the machine churn us all up. Let the machine destroy everything good and precious because there's money to be made. Um, Let the machine push you into Thatcherism. Let the machine just make you look out for yourself and not give a shit about anybody else. Because that's what the machine wants. The machine wants you just to consume. The machine wants you to set aside your values, your morals, your ethics, your sense of we're better than this. We should be better than this. People deserve better than this. Um, And it's interesting to me that maybe this is a, a privilege that maybe men are afforded more readily than women. I'm trying, I was asking myself, you know, who were the female spokespeople? And for some reason, Maya Angelou came to mind. For some reason, Toni Morrison came to mind. Uh, African-American women, very strong voices. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm thinking of women from Irish media uh maybe someone like nell mccafferty um you know the the very very um what if i think of nell mccafferty i just think of like the strength of her voice the strength of her personality her you know a woman of kind of strong convictions and unafraid to say what she thought unafraid to to, to speak truth to power um i don't know i mean in in many ways i suppose my, my mother was a bit of a, a template for that um as well uh, i think I've, I've, I've spoken about that before I don't, I don't feel there was any shortage of strong or what i perceived to be strong outspoken women i mean these were you know women who came up with the first wave of um of kind of the women's lib movement i guess um and we are women who are maybe a bit more on the kind of alternative side of things politicized uh educated intelligent passionate artistic creative um you know mothers um wives partners whatever i mean and and these were the women who populated the you know my house the house of my 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 parents friends and i kind of admired them all and they they said that was sort of the template that i saw these weren't women who stood in the background um they weren't women who were uh, you know and of course my you know you know great amazing women in 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 my extended family um my 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 aunts um my grandmothers um spokespeople i don't know i mean of course actions uh actions speak louder than words they say but then you know when you have a platform um that's a very powerful place the the other person i was thinking of someone who has been a kind of a a truth sayer for a long time is spike lee um i mentioned spike lee didn't i in a recent episode i can't think why i can't remember why at this moment um, Spike Lee, I'm a huge fan. I've always been a huge fan. Uh, I got on board the Spike Lee train very early. Uh, his early movies, um, 
school days and she's got to have it and do the right thing was just this moment that for me, what that was 89, so I would have been 15. I think it just encapsulated a sort of a a vital a vital sort of what just this no holds barred look at race and identity um in the most emphatic in your face spike lee way with so much color so much flavor so much punch so much bite so much sex so much aggression um and and it felt so over the top and so real and so honoring of voices and so like let me take it to the front line of the of the the war the war on race and how he just was like these are the people who are at the front line and everyone is hyper critical and hypersensitive to the hypocrisies of every other group except their own everyone's like just tearing each other down and like do the right thing just brought you to this intersection of of sort of racial rage and indignation and hurt and sensitivity and insensitivity and a willingness to spit in each other's faces um um and brilliant and i said oh god this guy is just mental <laughs> he's just off the charts and he just goes there and he's continued to go there throughout his career and i, I think he's brilliant i think he's a brilliant filmmaker i love his storytelling i love his fearlessness i love his 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 audacity as a filmmaker and a storyteller and what he's willing to do with his camera and the colors he puts on the screen and and you know something that's not maybe trumpeted enough uh because usually oh yeah spike lee a political filmmaker um you know that voice that just won't shut up but he's so much more than that he's such an accomplished filmmaker and he's a great stager of musical numbers uh, I rewatched Malcolm X recently. Malcolm X is 30 years old. And um, again, you know, I think there's two big musical numbers, like I said, in dance halls uh, in Malcolm X. And he, yeah, he, he he's brilliant, Spike Lee, what he sees and what he can stage and what he makes come alive in front of the camera. Um, and I think his his weakness is his his fondness for polemic, his fondness for just being too on the nose with his message. And sometimes, in my opinion, that undercuts the effectiveness of the artistic vision and the effectiveness of the narrative. Um, But maybe there's a part of me that goes, yeah, but that's his soapbox. And that's him saying, I don't care because this is a message that needs to be heard this message needs to be heard and I don't care that I'm sticking it right in your face again and again and again. Let me underline this again and again and again. Let me put 15 exclamation marks after this sentence because you're not listening because nothing's changing. So I'm still going to be here. I'm going to be here until it's not worth talking about anymore in the best sense that we are beyond it, that we have moved to a better place. And I think that's, you know, that, that, that's, what I'm, that's what I respond to. I love that. I love that passion. I love that willingness to be uncool and go, yeah, why, you know, I'm going to keep, I'm, gonna, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still going to talk about this stuff. And Bono does that and Bruce Springsteen does that and Spike Lee does that. Um, and I, I kind of love it. I kind of love it. I kind of love these people who have an artistic voice and are willing to use that gift. Because don't kid yourself. There is there. There's poetry there. There's poetry. And if Spike Lee is street poetry, if Spike Lee is hip hop, 
um you know bono you know and bono is this kind of um sort of what you know bono like bono's kind of pretentiousness i think call you know calls back he you know something mythic something shamanistic um something druidic he's trying he's trying to be that guy in an age of i was going to say an age of concrete and steel but maybe that's um maybe that's an, an, an you know maybe that, that that's completely um anachronistic you know this is the age of of silicon is it is this the age of silicon are we even beyond that if you're looking at people like elon musk and mark zuckerberg just cutting through their staff with uh you know the 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 the, like like the grim reapers of ruthless capitalism and just going yeah we what we value what do we value what do they value we value they value the bottom line they're businessmen they're not they're not particularly egalitarian like what do they represent they um i don't know are they the 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 robber the robber robber bandits uh robber barons of of tech and these these kind of megalomaniac nerds um who don't really value people um it's a weird one i mean they're kind of visionary in their way in terms of what they they see technologically what they understand about what can be done to people to the human interface and yet i don't know who would you like would you do you want to go and sit down and, and listen to elon musk talk about his vision for humanity or listen to mark zuckerberg talk about his aspirations for humanity um i don't think so i mean i would rather listen to bono even though he might irritate the shit out of me i would rather listen to bruce springsteen i'd love to listen to spike lee um now spike lee you know his mode is film his mode is filmic storytelling um yeah so i don't know and it's interesting as well because i'm gonna i'm gonna read you a quote i just saw before i pressed record um i was just online looking at some uh facebook stuff and um yeah came across this so this is a quote from bertrand russell the philosopher and it comes from his 1942 collection the art of philosophizing and other essays and he says if you wish to become a philosopher the first thing to realize is that most people go through life with a whole world of beliefs that have no sort of rational justification and that one man's world of beliefs is apt to be incompatible with another man's so that they cannot both be right people's opinions are mainly designed to make them feel comfortable truth for most people is a secondary consideration now you could argue that that's a very cynical position you could argue that that's bertrand russell going people wrap themselves in delusion because that's comfortable that's cozy and truth yeah truth is not really the priority people aren't grasping for truth people are grasping for comfort um and maybe maybe bertrand russell is just talking in purely philosophical terms and maybe he's talking about philosophical rigor and the examination of ideas and the examination of beliefs and that type of application of one's intellect of one's mind the application to to knowledge and understanding and the idea of what can be known um but 
if we draw a line back to what I'm talking about, I use the phrase speak truth to power. And sometimes that's not that clinical. Sometimes that's not that cold. That's not something that's formed in laboratory conditions. But I think that is one of the most vital roles of of the artist, of the interpreter, of the person who's on the fringes, as many artists are, as many creative voices are, as many creative eyes are. They're looking from the outside. And sometimes they're looking from the inside. But they are observers and interpreters. And they articulate the human experience. They articulate the reflection. They articulate something that comes back to us as the consumers of the art. They articulate something that says, don't forget this. Don't forget this is what's happening. Don't forget this is what we're doing. Don't forget this is what we're capable of. Don't forget that we can be better than this. And that's... What is that? Is that an emotional truth? Is that something felt and believed with such passion? I think that's something we recognize. And sophists and cynics and internet trolls, they'll argue with you 57 ways to Sunday. They'll argue with you out of that, to put you into knots, to shatter your instinct, to shatter your intuition, to shatter what your guts tell you is true. Because those people thrive on, I don't know if they thrive on the sensation of being right, or they thrive on the sensation of proving you wrong in a very intellectual, tricksy, cold, heartless way. And you might go, oh, well, that's naive because there's a place for that. Yeah, I mean, if that place is point scoring, if that place is let me just put another pin in your heart, let me just put another pin in your naive belief that we should be walking on this track that keeps us moving towards a better version of ourselves that keeps us thoughtful and cognizant of the importance of caring about others, of thinking about the bigger picture, of wanting to shake our fists at the injustice of cynical, mercenary, uncaring institutions, fearful governments, people who are being cowed into silence. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that cynicism, that sophistry, that naysaying, the people who want to steal magic from the world, the people who want to bring down the darkness and have us trudge with our shoulders slumped and our hands in our pockets just not caring and just going, this is as good as it's ever going to get and defeat is inevitable and don't bother, hold your soul in a precious place because there's no point because it's going to get consumed like everything else. So just give up now. And what I say to that is fuck that. If you'll forgive the language. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I am not interested in that. Because I see the value in human connection. I see the value in caring. I live I see the value in living part of yourself through others. I see the value in caring about others and loving others. That's where life is lived. That's where life has meaning. 
And part of that meaning is the values that you share, the convictions that you share, the emotional truth that you can feel pass between you and inform your connection and inform your love. So yeah, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. So um, I don't know. Speak up. Speak your truth. Speak your love. Speak your compassion. Speak your care. Speak for those who cannot. Speak for the migrant workers in Qatar. And celebrate the footballers who want to protest. Celebrate the footballers who want to say something of meaning, of care. And yes, please, please do join me in despising FIFA's cowardice their moral equivocation, their ethical invisibility. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this project, this effort. I really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you again next week. Um, Wherever you're listening to this, just... uh, You'll find the other links for social media for throwing some support at this podcast, which I will continue to do because I value it. I value what I'm doing here, <laughs> even if no one else does. Okay, take care, stay safe as always, mind yourselves and maybe mind some other people as well. Okay, take care, lots of love, all the best. Cheers. Three, two, one.